You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Lucinda Lonick. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, April 27th, 2023. It's been a really important experience that I want for students just to see that there are other students like them who share their experience together. Later in the program, we have an excerpt from Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio, done in collaboration with the IU Asian Culture Center and WFHB. More in the bottom half of tonight's program. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent present-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, WFHB's public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Public Library meeting on April 19th, President of the Board, Chris Harrison, wished Human Resources Manager Kyle Wickemeyer Hardy farewell as she retires and thanked her for her work. I would just personally like to say um, a fond farewell to Kyle Wickemeyer Hardy, who is retiring at the end of this month. So we have been very blessed to have Kyle leading our Human Resources Department for many years, and she will be sorely missed. She's unfortunately not here tonight, but anyway. Oh, she, oh, is. she is. Oh, there she is. Yay. So, Kyle. Thank you so much for all you've done, and you will be very, very missed by all of us. But we wish you very, uh, wish you well in your retirement, and hope you have a lot of enjoyment in the years to come. You're here. Next, Director Greer Carson gave his monthly report. He shared that they are intentionally starting the Southwest Branch with a smaller collection of available materials to check out. This will allow them to purchase more books in the future and tailor the collection to the patrons' interests. First, I want to uh, share an update on the opening day collection for the Southwest Branch. It's mentioned in the report a couple of times. The collections themselves are ready for shipment and will arrive at Southwest on May 11th and May 16th, respectively. We're working with our content development and circulation services departments to coordinate receiving all of the collection boxes, unboxing the items, sorting the items to carts, and ultimately shelving everything well in advance of the June 9th grand opening. We will have a little over 25000 items uh, in the collection in total. And this is compared to just over 60,000 at Ellettsville, which I want to qualify a little bit. First of all, Ellettsville has too many items. We haven't been weeding at Ellettsville for a very long time, so that number should be a lot lower. But more importantly, we're deliberately starting the Southwest collection at a lower number of total items so that we can be responsive to community needs. We want to grow that collection based largely on what the folks using that uh, branch are really interested in. And so we're going to have a lot of room for growth with 25,000 plus items. Uh, another clarification regarding the suppression of Southwest items uh, from public view in the catalog. Uh, all this means is that we have the item records in hand already and they're in our catalog, but if they were viewable, they would trigger holds for people who've placed requests on them or we would get more requests for holds and folks would have to wait a long time. So we actually suppress them from public view even though the records are actually there. So that's what that comment means in the director's report. Pleased to share that the County Council approved our request for additional appropriations at their April 11th meeting for the Southwest Branch construction and the operating fund coverage. Uh, 
In library marketing news, our YouTube views doubled from February to March, thanks in part to a great cross-shared TikTok video promoting our baking kits, which you'll hear more about soon. We held our second annual seed swap in partnership with Mother Hubbard's Cupboard and saw more than 60 attendees. And last month marked the one-year anniversary of Happio, our new staff intranet platform. The Happio steering team held a Happio birthday event to coincide with surveys sent out to uh, staff for feedback on the use and impact on internal communications that Happio has had. And finally, March saw us reach over 800 room reservations for the month. And this is the first time we've hit that mark since the start of the pandemic. Harris asked Director Greer Carson for an update on the Indiana legislation that could impact libraries. Carson responded. I did have one question. Um, it said that you and Josh had been meeting with peer libraries in the Indiana Library Federation to understand some of the impact that some of the bills that have been going through um, our legislature have been having on yes. public libraries. Are there any in particular that we should be aware of that are going to affect the public library so directly? S uh, not directly. The two bills in question were SB 12, which has an impact on school library collection development practices and reconsideration request practices. And then there was an additional House bill proposed, H uh, HB 380, that attempted to bring public libraries back into that uh, discussion. Uh, our updates from the ILF advocacy group are that neither one of those bills is moving forward as planned. So that's good news in terms of collection development and intellectual freedom. Um, but we're watching and, and talking with our, our peers about it. So good to know. Next, Carson gave an update on construction at the Southwest branch. We're in the final stretch in terms of finishing the building's exterior and finalizing many of the interior details. The parking lot is now paved as of yesterday, fully striped. Uh, some of us who went there this morning got to use parking spaces. The automatic materials handler, or AMH, arrived on Monday and is being installed as we speak. This is the same machine and company that we use here downtown and at Ellettsville, and it's actually the very same uh, model machine as what we have uh, at Ellettsville. Interior paint, doors, and door hardware and light fixtures are near completion throughout the building. Plumbing fixtures are being installed this week. We're making some final adjustments to interior building signage. We still have a number of change orders expected for May. Uh, a lot of these we've talked about for a few months now, including uh, minor interior adjustments to electrical outlet placement, additional bulkheads in some of the rooms, particularly bathrooms, and again, some final adjustments to interior signage. Um, we are looking to switch from grass seed to sod for the amphitheater seating area so that when we open up on the 9th, it's complete. And the long-awaited temporary heating bill that we discussed um, that would run from December through February will finally come our way in May. So we hope to bring all of these as final change orders for the project to the May 17th board meeting. We have completed our Southwest manager search and are now interviewing for Southwest librarian and library assistant positions. And VIP tours of the new branch begin on Monday, May 1st. I will share some schedule options with you all for separate uh, trustee tours uh, in the coming days. And we'll schedule those so that we can go out there in groups of one or two. Board member Kathy Lozer shared that she has heard residents are excited about the new branch and that they will be able to walk to the library. Some former students of mine who are now parents 
and they are so excited, and they emailed me and said, we're so excited. Our children can finally walk to the library, and they're very excited it about it. So it, yeah. it warms my heart. Yes, indeed. Next, Harrison shared that they are accepting a donation to the Friends of the Library for the amphitheater and a labyrinth at the Southwest Branch. The amphitheater will be named the Hain Amphitheater by the Woods. Brian and Jessica Hain have um, graciously donated um, an amount of uh, $215,000 to um, the Friends of the Library in order to be used at our new Southwest branch um, to pay for an for the amphitheater and a labyrinth. So we are very excited about that. The um, Library agrees to name the Southwest Branch Amphitheater, the Ehane Amphitheater by the Woods. Um, hopefully all of you have had a chance to read through the draft agreement. The only thing missing um, from that agreement is um, the date that the, um, that the pledge amount should be transferred into uh, the money market account um, at Baird. So that's something that we will decide on a bit later. But other than that, um, Tonight, we are voting to approve the, um, this gift. The board unanimously approved the donation and naming of the amphitheater and labyrinth. The next Monroe County Public Library meeting will be held on May 17th. At the Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting on April 17th, Director of Preschool Heather Kensnick introduced a presentation on a clothing and sewing unit two teachers held. So I asked a couple of our teachers, these, um, these two teachers teach full day pre-K, and they have been doing a clothing and sewing unit with their preschoolers. Um, they did a lot of really cool projects. And the way that our curriculum is designed is that the teachers can design units of study and study a specific topic for four to six weeks. And they're able to work on those academic and social emotional skills within that content. It's not all about learning how to sew or learning about clothing, but they're learning all of those other skills that preschoolers need through these units of study. So they've put together a presentation with some pictures and videos and um, some of the things that they were able to target with their students during this unit. Preschool teachers Alex Green and Stephanie Nemes presented on the projects they had their students make. First, Nemes presented on her students' projects origami and tie-dyeing. She shared the skills they learnt along the way. So this is just kind of the nuts and bolts of the Indiana Early Learning Foundations. And I won't go too deep down into that, but this, this the why do we teach the others? There's always the need for the why are we doing it? And then anchoring our study on that. So confidence, increasing independence and autonomy, which is so important at this age. Uh, fostering creativity. I don't know if you guys can see this, so... Um, uh, encouraging patience and discipline and perseverance, big one there. Um, communication process, uh, lots of multi-layered instructions, following directions, so temporal, uh, spatial, all that kind of stuff happens here. And then um, creating opportunity for planning and problem solving, and then engages both brain hemispheres. And then that moves into measuring, estimating, sort of making a plan and then using those measurements. Uh, also a valuable skill or trade. Um, and to add on to that, I think it also added a connection to some of the kids to like their grandparents or to an aunt or to a mom or somebody else who did sewing or so. We've got lots of cool stories from different kids on that. And then on to the next one right there, the uh, connection to heritage and multi-generational activity. 
And then overall focus of process over product. So in, in preschool, if you see something super cute, probably not the process, it was a product. So they're just working through learning how to do things. And then this is really good for different colors, textures, and then the self-regulation that this allows so that they can have their emotional state, but through the repetitive motions, um, the creative process really brings around um, a calming sort of sense of self. Next, Green shared that her class worked on crocheting and quilting. Uh, and my class kind of went a different way with the project. We went quilting, fabric, more of that side of things, patterning, shapes, recognition, all of that. Um, this particular thing, they were determining how many of which shape and how many triangles fit into another triangle, how many into a rectangle, into a square. And they spent a good hour trying to do that with each other that particular day. Um, we've done a couple other things with that. They, we have a book just about different quilts and different quilt artists and fabric and fiber artists. And they saw all the possibilities. So we did some paper quilts. We did one big giant paper quilts for the class with national park, uh, pictures on it, which I didn't get a picture of. Um, and then we went into our stuffy project. And this year's class voted on stuffies in the past. We had, uh, their big project was to make bags. One year it was bean bags. So as it's evolved, each class gets to vote on what they want to do. This year they wanted stuffies. And they each took the time to design them. They did multiple plans and how that worked out. So they also realized all the different ways of choice and fabric that there was that was donated to us and how to sew the bags with the sewing machine, how to sew and glue, because we use fabric glue, how to keep the hair on. And because <laughs> there was some that got real detailed. And these guys did an amazing job and then they learned how the plan doesn't always go. <laughs> so some of the kids were a little disappointed. Oh, my ears didn't come out. Oh, my legs didn't come out quite right. But they learned to love it. They, these guys all took them home. I would have brought them <laughs> to, to show everybody, but they could not wait to take them home and show everyone in their family. Um, so we have some unicorns, some unicorn cats, uh, <laughs> quite a few. Uh, Stingray, we have one of these is a roly-poly that actually rolls up, uh, <laughs> which was a very important feature to that child. Uh, we have so many different things. I mean, he wanted a bus and found construction fabric. Uh, and they also did hand sewing on parts of it, and then they used the machine on the other parts, and they learned all the parts of the machine and couldn't wait to tell me all the parts and how, I, how are you keeping your fingers safe when we're all touching things. So we had to learn all the safety features. Um, this was their, part of their weaving project with it. We did uh, bird homes and feeders, and just basically extra yarn was given to the birds to create nests in the springtime. And there was multiple layers of beds and things because the birds needed more beds. And they sewed it. They spent two days just on the carpet building, weaving, trying to keep that going, and hand sewing a bunch of things to put up near them. So there's lots of things in the tree off of the playground on our side so we can still see it. 
and a bunch of our friends lovingly showing me they can use the sewing machine safely and not put their fingers in inappropriate places. <laughs> and yeah, the conclusion we just... Yeah, the conclusion is preschool is the best. Yeah, <laughs> they did a great job. The school board thanked them for the work that they did. The next Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting will take place on May 15th. In today's feature report, we have an excerpt from Hereabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio, done in collaboration with the IU Asian Culture Center and WFHB. Today, we hear from Rebecca Valereno Flores, who works in the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Office at the IU O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. To listen to the full interview, visit wfhb.org. And now we turn to that segment. My name is Belle Chat Panarangsi. I'm a sophomore student from Bangkok, Thailand, majoring in international law and institutions. Today, we are here to speak with Rebecca about her work as a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs and her new program called Activate O'Neill. So, hello. Thank you for making time for this interview once again. I'd like to start us off by asking if you could give us a little quick introduction about yourself. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Belle. Uh, my name is Rebecca Valeriano Flores. I'm the Director of Student Inclusion and Engagement at the O'Neill School for Public and Environmental Affairs. Uh, and I'm sort of the key point in the Office of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at O'Neill. Um, I started at O'Neill last fall, and that's the fall 2022 semester. I moved here from Chicago. I'm getting my PhD, I'm a PhD candidate at Loyola University Chicago, and my discipline is philosophy. And I'm also a research fellow at Loyola's School of Law. And while I was there, I ran a similar program uh, for that department, um, similar to, to Activate O'Neill, which I'm running here. Awesome. So um, could you tell us more about any like any similar experiences with being, you know, part of the DEI office and any of your previous um you know, programs and or jobs? Yeah. So when I was at Loyola, uh, I created, I developed a program for students from marginalized groups. It was a little different than Activate, um, but kind of had the same concept. At the philosophy department, we really needed a way to, to support our students from marginalized groups. And that's students of color, disabled students, and different groups of students. And actually, not marginalized groups, I should say underrepresented groups in philosophy, which is a little bit different um, because our program also included white women. Um, and so the program started off as one-to-one -one mentorship between undergraduates and grad students. And then as it grew, it became sort of this three-pronged program that included support, sort of like academic support for undergraduate students, community building events. So there's sort of the more fun social events. Uh, and then it kept the one-on-one -on -one mentorship, but it was a little bit more tailored. It was for students who had particular projects, such as like a, a research uh, based on, you know, research interests, if they had a research project or something like that. And so I had that role and was able to develop that program because a lot of my research in philosophy 
is on philosophy of race. It's on issues of decolonial philosophy and also educational uh, frameworks such as high impact learning practices, kind of taking that. And then also my experience as college instructor, I taught classes um, in the philosophy department to undergraduates. I was able to develop this, this really great program um, that supported students and created a little community there. Yeah. Oh, no, that sounds really awesome and interesting. Um, for those, I guess we could do a little pivot and talk about your work here at IU. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar, what does the DEI office do on campus and what does your office take care of? Yeah. So the head office on on the IU campus is the is OVP DEMA, the Office of the Vice Provost for Diversity, Equity, and multicultural affairs, which is going to change to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and the uh, the vice provost is James Winbush. And so they kind of do a lot of DEI work across campus, but O'Neill, the O'Neill School, has its own office of DEI. And it has taken a lot of forms over, over the last few years, um, but there's... Now, since my I have been hired and then my colleague Rossio was hired last fall as well, it kind of has taken on a new look. We kind of have a new direction for the Office of DEI at O'Neill. And so my role is student engagement and Rossio's role is uh, student recruitment. And so the reason why it's structured that way is because we kind of took a look at we created a, the O'Neill strategic plan, and then also there's the IU strategic plan as well. And so a couple of the things that O'Neill wanted to develop is they wanted to increase retention and graduation rates for students of color because it was just a few points below campus average. And then they want um, our school to be more diverse. And that's Rossio's role to, to sort of bring in more students of color uh, to our campus. And so I do a lot of student support and student engagement. My role is completely student facing, um, which means I don't do DEI work for faculty and staff, um, even though I serve on committees and things like that. I primarily work with students. I see. I know that in your time here, you've implemented a pilot program called Activate O'Neill, which one of my friends is a part of, well, a couple of them, and they've told me very good things about it. Could you tell us more about, you know, the purpose of Activate O'Neill and how you um, got to starting this program at IU? Yeah. And so I was hearing a lot from um, from people who work with students at O'Neill that there was a need to build community. There was a need for students to feel like they belonged there and really had a place there. Um, and so what I did was create a program very similar to the one that I created at Loyola. And here at the O'Neill School, it's um, a leadership program. So Activate O'Neill is a program that also has kind of these three prongs, leadership training, uh, community building, and then student support. And so the leadership training um, is mostly doing stuff like retreats, um, networking, uh, training students on how to do things such as um, update their resume uh, and that kind of support. I also try to match them with visiting visiting scholars and visiting professionals and alumni um, to kind of get that experience in um, develop networking and developing relationships. And then I had also students serve on a, 
an undergraduate student council that developed ideas that discussed issues and um, and solutions uh, to Dean Mooney this semester as well. And so in addition to the leadership training, we have these community building events. And so those are things where we really want to get students together to meet each other, to see each other um, together, because that's something that I think students were missing. Um, one, when I was reading the applications, I heard from multiple students, especially undergraduates, that they'll walk into a classroom at O'Neill, look around and find that they are the only student of color or in the minority of, uh, of students of color in the classroom. And so once I got us all in a room together, that was for probably 95% of the students there, that was the first time they were ever in a room where they weren't the minority here at O'Neill. And I, that was, that's been a really important experience that I want for students just to see that there are other students like them who share their experience together. So that's the kind of community building aspect of Activate. And then the third aspect is student support. And so um, some students don't know about O'Neill's or IU's resources. Some students um, aren't getting enough help from those resources. So I do a lot of the things that existing departments at O'Neill do. So whether it's academic advising, um, personal support, bias reporting, and then also trying to um, get academic support for students, um, you know, trying to find them tutoring and things like that. Uh, and then I also help them apply for scholarships and fellowships. So I want it to be a really holistic program where students are um, getting support, but then they're also building community and learning new things to really strengthen um, strengthen their resumes, strengthen um, the them as as leaders. Support for the WFHB local news is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. And listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by the team at Hearabouts. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnick. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB.
been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 